right. Good morning, City Light. How are we doing? We good? All right. Hey, uh, first and foremost, thank you kids for joining us today. We have City Light kids now that you can go to. So we're super excited. So why don't kids, y'all go ahead and make your way over here. See Mr. Cole right here. Uh, you can follow him and you can go down. Everybody say a quick little prayer that the kids will be blessed and learn. So exciting. Uh, the, the kids team has put in a lot of hard work to get kids up and running again, to do it safely and to do it in a way uh, that blesses you and blesses the children. So just uh, say a quick prayer for them that everything will go well down there uh, and that the kids would, you know, socially distance like we expect them to uh, and to listen and follow directions uh, like they're supposed to. I'm sure it's going to go fantastic. Uh, but we're very excited about that. I do real quick, too, before, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to the band. I don't know if you know how hard that is to go back and forth like that. Uh, so let's just give them a little love <clears throat> to be able to sing to the Lord in, in both languages. Uh, that's a difficult task, and they did an excellent job, so super thankful for them. Uh, and as much as we can, uh, we want to integrate these worlds and do well at that and to honor one another and to exemplify the kingdom of God here. So uh, this service is somewhat bilingual, and then the next service, the sermon will be translated. And we just hope here and there uh, to bring the worlds together, Luz, which meets over there at the same time, uh, to sometimes come together in the service uh, and navigate the service together to honor the Lord. So super excited to do that uh, today in both forms, and super thankful for Luz, everything God is doing there. If you want to open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2, I mean chapter 3, sorry, that's where we're going to be. Uh, for the kids as well, just uh, as a reminder, I don't know if you want to put an example up. Your kid's number is on the top right of this screen. So if something is up and they need your help as the parent, the kid's number will be right there. So uh, just keep your eyes there just in case uh, that's where your number will be. And I don't know if you noticed, but we have this little brick stuff behind me. Uh, one of our phrases here at City Light is bring your brick. It comes from Ephesians 4 where it talks about we all come together to build God's house. And so something we talked about from our core values all the way at the beginning was we're all bringing our brick. Like part of doing church is bringing your brick to build God's house. And so we're not like watching a show. It's not about what happens on a Sunday morning from like three or four people. It's about a group of people that bring their brick Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, to build God's house and to see what God might do for us to join in this together. And so this month, uh, particularly as we celebrate our one-year anniversary next week, it's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to talk about what does it look like to bring your brick. Uh, we're going to stay in 2 Timothy. Uh, we're going to look at it in that lens at some level. And then next week as we celebrate our one year, which you have to come to, all right, we've been making plans for the last few weeks. It's amazing. It's going to be super fun. And it's going to be a great reminder of what God has done. And on top of the service and reminders and celebrations, we'll have food trucks and all sorts of stuff, right? So it's going to be a good time. You want to come hang out. It's going to be a great day. And so I'm super, super excited to celebrate that with you. Uh, with those of you that have helped build God's house here at City Light. A whole lot has happened in a year. We're like, we're going through in staff meetings and stuff, like we literally don't have enough time to even touch the surface of explaining everything that happened. So what stories can we pick that help give an idea? Uh, but it's really awesome to look back and think through, man, the Lord has done more than we could ever ask or imagine. Uh, another way to help you bring your brick practically is after the service today and after the service at 11, so both services, depending on uh, when it's good for you, there's a ministry fair in the fellowship hall, which is basically a simple way to help you get plugged in, okay? So it's like a next step. We have basic training, which is our membership course to help you navigate that process of what does it look like to start 
and get plugged into City Light. Uh, but a simple way for you to understand what is it that we do. Uh, we have lighthouses and light teams. Lighthouses are spiritual places to engage in your community uh, in the, during the week where you can grow in a group with other people who love Jesus, where you can impact your community together. Light teams are service-oriented teams by which you can serve both the church on Sundays and the community on Sunday and throughout the week. So some avenues for you to jump in and use your life and your gifts are going to be clearly uh, communicated and explained to you with people in the fellowship hall, okay? So go ahead and join us there. You can grab your shaved ice and then come in and do that if you want or however you want to do it. But there's a ministry fair that happens, and we want you to bring your brick. This church, and church in general, just only works as much as God's people all are, are all involved, okay? We, from the beginning, we've tried to be like, this is not about what happens here on a Sunday morning on stage with five people, which is once again important. It's very important. I believe in preaching. I believe in singing. I think these things are important. Uh, but God's church will progress as much as each person in it does what God has asked them to do. I fully believe that with all my heart. And as much as we can get each one of you and us together to collectively bring our bricks, use our gifts, this church will make a difference, which is why I think God has done so much in this last year. So definitely take advantage of that. All right, so 2 Timothy 3. The sermon today is just called Watch Out, all right? Watch out. <clears throat> this sermon today and the text really is about uh, what do false teachers and things like that look like. And as I'm going to kind of talk through this today, I want you to have this picture. Uh, yesterday we were visiting family in Pennsylvania. It was fun. They have land. You know, you ride four-wheelers and all sorts of stuff, which there's nowhere to do that in D.C., all right? So my kids never get to do stuff like that. Uh, and they had a pool, which is great, except my five-year-old is at that line between uh, he still can't really swim, but he's confident in the water, you know. So that's a, that's a recipe for disaster, okay. It's, it's almost good to be a little bit scared, you know. And now he's learning to swim, so he feels good about it, which I'm glad for, amen. Uh, but a little bit too good, you know, where you make one mistake, and he's not quite ready to go in the deep end yet. Uh, and so there's, you know, in pools, how pools work, there's like a shallow, and it was pretty big. There was, you know, a big section of shallow water, and then there's a slope that goes down into the deeper water. Uh, and the slope is kind of tricky because as soon as you cross this line, if before you realize it, I kept trying to tell them, like, hey, you got to watch this line right here. Because before you realize it, you'll be going into the deep, and you might panic and not know how to get back this way. You might lose your footing because you're going down this slope. And so I would keep telling them, hey, watch out. Watch for that line because as soon as you cross the line, you're getting in dangerous water and it might be difficult for you to recover. And so I want you to be very careful to watch out. I want you to think about that the same way, uh, the text today and about your life, about what you're listening to, who you're hearing from, the things you believe, the things that you trust, uh, about what it looks like for you and me to watch out. Because the line from where we're walking with Jesus to where we're not can be a slippery slope like that. And where all of a sudden we believe and trust in things that are not true and things that we should not follow, uh, that might not be blatantly like that. And so Paul's going to help Timothy today to watch out himself and to teach his people to watch out. And so that's what we're after today. So let's read 2 Timothy 3, uh, and we will dive in. Verse 1, but understand this, Paul says to Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Why? Well, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. They will be brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, this is the sentence, but denying its power. 
avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. They are always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was to those two men. Our focus today, I think, comes from verse 5 and this concept that's building towards and from that they have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. They have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. I don't know if you know people that, like, have muscles but they're not strong. You guys know people like that where it's like, you can't actually help me do much, you know? When I ask to get help moving, you're, like, not present, you know? It's like you have muscles but you're not strong. I have a joke with one of our friends that his muscles are cosmetic. They're just cosmetic. Like, they look good, they do nothing, all right? They're useless, all right? So you look awesome and strong, but you're not the guy I would call to actually get something done that requires strength. It's really, I want you to think about it this way, to say that's what it looks like to have the appearance of godliness, but to deny its power. Now, the thing about this text, which I think is very instructive for us, is because of this sentence, having the appearance of godliness, he's talking about people in the church. Read the list, there's 18 things in this list that are quite negative, you know, and things that we would never want to be exemplified by. And he's basically saying, these are the kind of people that you're going to find in the church. I need you to avoid these people. And that in the last days, as Paul's talking about, which just theologically for everybody, the last days biblically happened as soon as Jesus rose from the dead. So Paul talks about the last days, we're living in the last days. The last days are the whole point from the resurrection all the way until Jesus comes back, biblically speaking. So we're always living in the last days, should be ready for Christ to return at any moment. And so this list is a list of people in the church. Now get this, they appear godly because they participate in religious exercise, but they deny the actual power of God because they refuse to be obedient. See what I'm saying? This is important, and I, I might at some level hopefully be stepping on some toes at, at some level with you or with somebody in your life to say, man, there's really a big difference between religious exercise and godliness. Now, godliness includes religious exercise. You can't pursue godliness without doing the basic things that God has put for you to do. But there's a big difference between religious exercise and the power of God because there's a way to be religious but disobedient. And this is a real challenge for us in the church to say, man, we want to be a people who are actively obedient, not just doing religious things. You should ask yourself the question, is my godliness more of an appearance? You should ask that of yourself. Is my godliness more of an appearance or is it the real deal? And once again, like we talked about last week, holiness is usefulness. So we progress as a church and church works in general to the extent that God's people are pursuing God's ways. Those are the people that God works in and uses. And so as we look through this list and as we think through the challenge, not just on things we should be aware of, because there's one way to read this, and this is what we do all the time, especially when we read the Bible, is we say, well, that's not me, right? So when we read the good characters or things that happen that are good, we're like, I can see myself in that story. We read Judas, we're never like, oh, yeah, I resonate with that. You know, like, oh, yeah, that's probably me. I'm like Judas. No, you know, like when David kills Goliath, that's me. You know, but when David runs away, not me. You know, so when we read into the Bible, we're like, oh, yeah, this is, I, I feel this. What I want us to do is not just say, well, this happens out there, something I should be aware of and watch out for, but it's something I should be careful about in my own heart. 
These are things that I should be aware of that I am tempted to live out. This kind of religion is something that I am tempted to live out. We should say not just, man, let me be careful the things I listen to and take in, but let me be careful the way that I live my life. When you look at these 18 characteristics, I think the main emphasis seems to be love. It seems to be love, but love that is misdirected, a love that is directed in the wrong direction, that's destructive because it's headed the wrong way, a love that's pointed at the wrong things. And so my, I came up with just a little a phrase for these kinds of loves. I wanted to call them today losing loves. There's a way to love that loses. They're losing loves. They lead you into a wrong direction. And so what we're talking about today and what seems to be the problem are three primary losing loves. There's things that we should watch out for. So if somebody's teaching the Bible, whether here or anywhere else, and their life doesn't match up based off their, their love, we should be careful about that. But also in your own life, in your own heart, man, what are these losing loves for me? Am I, is my love pointed in the wrong direction? So there's three of them, it seems to be in the passage, the losing love of self, money, and pleasure. And because their love had been misdirected from God to self, money, and pleasure, their life began to take a wrong turn, and their life began to be destructive. So let's start with the first one. It says lovers of self in verse 2. Lovers of self. And you know, one of the things I love about preaching through the Bible is this is never a passage you would just like wake up one day and be like, yeah, I love to talk about this. You know, but preaching through the Bible is very helpful and instructive for us because it helps us and forces us to touch on everything that God wants us to think about and th- stuff for us to think through. And so as we look at this passage, we say, man, how can we be aware and watch out? So the first one is self, lovers of self. You see here it says lovers of self and lovers of money. And I think that is no accident because love of self and love of money are the two setups for everything else that happens. So if I love myself, and I'll explain what that looks like, what a bad way to love yourself is. If I love myself in a, in a bad way, in an ungodly way, and if I'm so focused on myself and I love money and material things, those two things are going to be the floodgates that open for every other behavior. And say it starts with these two things, love of money, love of self, love of money, love of self. And what I wanted to do for a second was touch base on how we're always told to love ourselves in culture. And for us to understand, man, when we hear that message, what should we watch out for? When I'm told to love myself, what, do I, what should I watch out for when culture is teaching me to love myself? Because we hear this 24-7. This is the message for everyone in the world, love yourself. You need to love yourself. You need to love yourself. You need to follow your heart. You need to love yourself, trust yourself, love yourself. And that sounds good at first, right? It sounds great. Like, yeah, okay, I want to love myself. Should I, I shouldn't hate myself. So, yeah, if I love myself, then I can be good and I can move forward. I, I need to love myself. And so quickly, before we even realize it, we begin to believe something that God never intended us for, for us to believe. And we begin to have the definition of love be defined by the world as opposed uh, from God. And now we begin to pursue a love for self that is outside of what God tells us to pursue, and it becomes destructive. This is so important because you hear this 24-7, and I want to give you a little insight into what culture is doing and what God wants you to do. This is so interesting. I usually don't quote commentaries and stuff like that, but in my reading, I want you to see this, this quote from here. Uh, the word love yourself, he says, I'm going to put it on the screen. In earlier Greek literature, the word here is used in a positive sense of self-respect. So culture uses this word 2,000 years ago in the Greek to say, love yourself. That's the word they use, respect yourself. But here it is used negatively 
of a self-centeredness that usurps God's rightful role. So what does Paul do? He takes a word, a phrase that culture uses, love and respect, love yourself. He flips it upside down and he says this is negative when you do it outside of the concept of God. So when I try to pursue love outside of the idea and the truth of God, I do so in a negative way, in a destructive way. So what Paul does and what I want to do is take the phrase you hear from your friends, from the TV, from Instagram and Twitter, and to say that phrase in and of itself is empty and actually destructive apart from it being submitted to the reality of God. That I can only truly love myself when I understand God. When we follow culture's teaching to love yourself, we miss the fact that every worldview, apart from the Bible, is one that elevates itself and ignores God. So when you're taught to love yourself by culture, you're taught to do so in a God-ignoring way. To love yourself for yourself. Listen to me. When I love myself for myself, you guys experience this, it is a losing love. Listen to me. When I love myself for myself, when it starts and ends with me, that is a losing love. This is what he's talking about. It's a losing love. Why? Let me give you two reasons. The first, and you guys have all experienced this and so have I, there's two realities. Either I am not enough, so when I attempt to love myself, I become insecure. When I attempt to love myself, I begin to fake things that I want other people to believe about me. In my attempts to love myself, I realize there are things about myself that I do not like, and there are things about myself that I wish were different. And so in my attempt to love myself, I have to cover those things up or ignore them so that I can love myself. Because I am not enough. When I look at myself, there's too many problems. And so an attempt to love myself creates insecurity. It creates problems. Or on the other side, and this may be some of us as well, when I look at myself, right, I love myself. You know, when I look at myself, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like I'm really good. I get praised by everybody around me. Maybe I'm really good at a sport. Maybe I'm really handsome or beautiful or whatever. And the whole world just thinks these amazing things about me. And so I think those amazing things about me. And so when culture tells me to love myself, I am ready. I'm saying, yes, I love myself. And I become prideful. You see, without God in the picture, an attempt to love yourself creates insecurity or pride. Those are your only two options, and both of those are destructive paths. Now, that's when I love myself for myself. Now, the opposite of that is to love myself because God loves me. To love myself for God's sake, not for myself. When I love myself because God loves me, hear me, then it is not about me. This is so great and freeing. And this is why the culture's definition of love yourself is enslaving and so difficult to live out in a destructive teaching. Because when I love myself for myself, I become insecure or prideful. But when I love myself because God loves me, it's not about me. It's not about what I'm good at or not good at. It's not about what I've done or not done. God loves me simply because he made me. He loves me even though I have flaws. God doesn't have to cover them up to love me. God looks at me in my flaws and he loves me. And ultimately he looks at me and he loves me and he can love me because he sent Jesus to die for the very things that I am insecure and problematic about. The very sins that I have, the very things that I struggle with. God sent Jesus to die for and take care of and to, so to speak, cover up. 
This is what true love is really about. And ultimately, when you love yourself because God loves you, now you're free because that's true and it glorifies God and it honors God. So now you're good and God gets the glory. This is so important because otherwise you're just going to run around and 24-7 you're going to hear love yourself. And then you're going to apply that wrongly. It's going to be a losing love. And then you're going to wonder why your life is so destructive or you're still so insecure or why it's so prideful. You're going to wonder why those things are breaking down around you. And it's because you've gotten the wrong definition of love yourself. When you do it the world's way, it's a losing love. But the gospel is so different. The gospel says that God loves me, Romans 5a, that God demonstrated his love for me even while I was still a sinner. That's how God demonstrated his love for me, that he died on the cross while I was a sinner, that he rose from the dead while I was a sinner, and that he extended love and mercy to me before I even wanted it or asked for it, that it's God's love that comes to me that changes my life and changes my eternity and changes my perspective. It is God's love that defines who I am and what I'm about and who I should live for. It is God's love that defines my flaws, that defines my good things. It is God's love that defines everything about me. And now when I sit in and under God's love, I'm able to freely love myself in a proper and right way. And now I'm free to love myself, but get me not focus on myself. What a great place to be, to love yourself and not focus on yourself. That's called contentment. And when you're able to love yourself in a way that frees you to focus on others, that's a world changer. When a church is filled with people who have received God's love, so they love themselves, but they love themselves so much that they don't focus on themselves. It's an amazing way. Why? Because you let God love you. It's, you don't have to do that. You see what I'm saying? You let God receive, generate the love for you to receive. You don't have to work up five reasons why I should love myself. You don't have to pretend the other five reasons why I don't love myself, those aren't actually, you know. No, now I just receive God's love for me. So now I can love myself and not focus on myself, which allows me the freedom to truly serve others which allows me to be the person who walks in the room and isn't trying to manipulate position. It allows me to be the person who actually serves people without anything else wanting from back, back from that. It allows me to be that kind of person, and it will allow us to be that kind of church, to truly love ourselves without focusing on ourselves because we have received God's love, because we understand the gospel, because we understand what the Bible says about us. These kinds of people are free. This is the kind of people God wants you and I to be. This is the good news that he came to die to give you, that God loves you in spite of you. And that God's love is the very love that changes you and makes you more like Jesus. It is God's love that defines us, not our love. When you're told to love yourself, you need to look back and define that. Live by what the Bible says. So loving yourself for yourself is a losing love. At that point, when you choose to do that, everything else follows. When I love myself for myself, I have to make more money so that I can love myself more. So that I can do nicer things for myself or so that I can think more highly of myself or so I can have better status in society for myself. When I love myself for myself, I become proud, arrogant. When I love myself for myself, I become somebody that thinks only about me. So all these other things will follow. I'm heartless towards others, slanderous. I have no self-control because all I'm trying to do is love myself. 
I become brutal and not loving the good. I'm a lover of pleasure. All these things follow. So you see how destructive this is. If I could just slam this point down in your head, we could leave right now. Because this is what I really want you to understand. Is that when you love yourself for yourself, everything else in here follows. And the destructive life is the only thing that's there. And if you hear culture 24-7 say love yourself and you don't have a good definition, it's going to lead you on a path of destruction. It sounds good, but watch out. You got to watch out. We got to know the Bible, people. We have to know the Bible because things are swirling around you that sound good and they're destructive. You got to know the Bible. You got to know the Bible. You got to know what does it mean to love yourself. You got to have a biblical definition of that. So important, so important. All right. The second losing love is money, lovers of money. This one's fairly obvious. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Uh, the phrase lover of money, the same phrase was used against the Pharisees, the religious leaders, by Jesus in Luke 16, 14. One of Jesus' main issues with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his time, was that they loved money. The Bible says very simply that you can't have two masters. You can't serve money and God. You have to choose. You, you hear that? Either money or God will rule your life. You're submitting to one or the other whether you think you are or not. You see what I'm saying? It's not a matter of I choose to wake up one day and idolize, 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 I don't know where I'm going, idolize money. It's not like I wake up one day and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe you do. But you're either submitted to money as the ruler of your life, as the thing you pursue, as the thing you think about the most and worry about the most, or you're submitted to God. One of the, one of the dangerous things it seems to be in the Bible, as you think through religious leaders, is that they ought not love money. They ought not love money. And so when you hear someone teaching the Bible or when you look around and see someone claiming to be a person from God, but their life is backed up by a love of money, by surrounding themselves with really nice things, by living way above and beyond what a, an appropriate standard of living would be for them, then that's someone you should watch out for. You should watch out. We ought not to be lovers of money. And you should trust your religious leaders to be the exemplar of this. Okay, to be the exemplar, to say, I'll not do that. If I'm going to look to somebody for me to follow uh, spiritually, that person is not going to be a lover of money, and it's going to be obvious to me. I'm not going to have to wonder, oh, man, I wonder, you know. So be careful about that, looking around, but also be careful about it in your own life. Paul did this twice with Timothy. First Timothy 6.10, he says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Remember, not money itself. Money inherently is not bad. It's our use of it. It's our heart towards it. The use of our money is a great indication of what we really value. You and I know this, right? If we follow your bank account, we'll follow your love. Like, this is what it will tell us. And so just for us to be aware in our own life that our use of money is a slippery slope away from God, that you can't mishandle your money in a way that dismisses the existence of God and don't use it to serve and love others and still faithfully begin to grow in your relationship with Jesus. It's something you should watch out for and it's something you should watch out for and those who teach the Bible. Loving money is a losing love. It's an incredibly great temptation, obviously, especially in this part of the world. And so we want to be careful with that. Here's the third one, lovers of pleasure. Look in verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than God. Here's something for you to write down. This principle literally changed my life. Here it is. The problem is when we love pleasure rather than God instead of finding pleasure in God. It's just so important. The point of telling you to be careful about pleasure is not to tell you to not have pleasure. 
Let me give you some examples in the Bible, okay? Some of these verses literally change my life, right? Because when I'm thinking being religious, I think like facts and information, and so then I seek pleasure other places. But then when I think of being religious biblically, I'm thinking of seeking after God, who from him all good things come. God whose presence is fullness of joy. God who is someone to love and enjoy. And so the Bible, we, we make a mistake when we think, man, I gotta be faithful to being religious uh, and stop doing these bad things, as opposed to thinking, man, there's really good things for me to pursue that are better. I can get more pleasure from God than anywhere else. It's the same with the money conversation, I mean, with the love conversation. Let me give you some verses. You should write these down, memorize them, live your life by them. I've been sharing these verses with people for my whole, like, last 10 years of my life, okay? They have been memorized, they're in my heart, they change the way I think about God and live, okay? Psalm 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And say it with me, pleasures. Say it like you mean it. Pleasures forevermore. Listen, God's not up, up trying to like convince you that, oh, that's really great, but you know, just ignore it. No, 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 no. He's not trying to do that with your temptation and things like that. No, he's saying, man, that's nothing compared to me. Why would you trifle with something so silly when you could have real joy and real hope and real peace and real pleasure in God? This is amazing. This is amazing. Psalm 4-7, you put more joy in my heart than they have when their wine and grain abound. I love this. You put more joy in my heart, this is modern version, than they have when they throw a party, right? When that party is lit. You put more joy in my heart than they have when they're drinking and being with people and all that stuff that they think gives them such joy and high. He's saying, take that experience and it's nothing compared to knowing God. That is some good news. He's not saying, well, that's bad and destructive, which it is. He's saying that's nothing compared to the pleasure I find in God. Nothing. Nothing. Have all the parties you want. Give yourselves to the world. And he's saying that is nothing. We're, we're talking a pleasure battle. We're not just talking a truth battle. It's not just whether something's right or wrong. It's what's the best. And Jesus is going to come back and not only say, well, that's certainly a wrong way of life and destructive towards you. It's also not the best. Jesus is going to say, I'm better than that. I'm better than that. Any thrill or joy you can have in the world, at the penultimate of it, Jesus is going to meet you at that point and just go up a hundred more. Like, he's better than that. To walk with God is better than that. I'm telling you, as soon as I figured this out, not figured, as soon as the Lord revealed this to me in the scriptures, this changed my life. John 15, 11, Jesus tells his disciples, right, he gathers them together. From John 13 to John 17, he's preparing his disciples for him to leave, okay? So there's this four chapters of Jesus' preparation. So what do you do when you're preparing your disciples for you to leave so they can go change the world? What are the things that you tell them? So he tells them some things, and then at the end of this, he says, These things I have spoken to you, why, Jesus? That your joy may be full. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus, why do I have your instruction? Why do I have to read Leviticus, Jesus? Why have you instructed me, Jesus? Why do, you have, why do I have words from you to listen to? And Jesus simply says, for your joy. Look at that, for your joy, for your joy. Jesus is not in like a pleasure battle over here. There's nothing, there's nothing. He's saying all the instruction I've given to you, every commandment, everything that you don't like and that doesn't make sense, every bit of instruction from Jesus, he says, is so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Finally, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see the Lord is good. Come on now, we're supposed to experience this stuff. 
You're supposed to experience God. How else do you describe this verse? You're not just supposed to know God intellectually. You're supposed to experience it. You're supposed to taste him. You're supposed to taste him just like you like something that you eat, something that you enjoy, just like you like ice cream or whatever. You're supposed to, take, you're supposed to enjoy God. You're supposed to enjoy being with God. God is so wonderful. When you get near to him, he gives you this experience of him. We're supposed to taste and see the Lord is good. And so that's what happens when we say, I'm trying to be religious, but I'm not obedient. I don't experience the power of his presence. When I try to be religious but not obedient, I don't experience the power of his presence, which is transformative. I, you, I don't taste and see the Lord as good because I'm not being obedient in my life. I'm not trusting him to actually be that for me. And now when I say, God, you are good, I believe it, I'm going to live my life accordingly, now I have this experience of God that is true to that and it's transformative. We're settling, God, we're settling too much for a non-experiential version of religion. One that just has facts and things that I do, but has no experience of God's presence, of God's joy, of tasting and seeing him. This is what will change your life. This is what changed my life when I truly began to understand this, that God is someone to enjoy and experience I'm supposed to have with him. That obviously ebbs and flows. You don't just live at this mountaintop all the time. But to say, God, I'm seeking after you in this way. I'm believing you to be this for me. I am saying yes to you and no to the world because you are better than that. It's not, I'm, I'm seeking after pleasure in God. So he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And our problem is when we love pleasure rather than God instead of finding pleasure in God. So for you to win the pleasure battle, it's not to say no so much as it is to say yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes to his presence. Yes to his people. Yes to his ways. And the more you say yes to him, the easier it is to say no to everything else. And for whatever reason, generally I feel like we're grow we grow up and we're taught to say no a whole lot. And no is not a very powerful word. Yes. Jesus wants you to say yes. Yes to him. Yes to his ways, yes to his word, yes to his presence. And in saying yes, you'll have more power to say no. Okay? His pleasure is better. His pleasure is better. So when they have lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, these things create verse 5. They appear godly, but they deny his power. Right? This group of people, they want salvation without submission. They want to be revered instead of rescued. They're prideful. They want to be the deliverers instead of dependent, right? They want the, the, what religion can give them without actually receiving the power of God. They replace God with other things because they want the place of God. These are the kind of people we should watch out for and the kinds of things we should be careful about in our own life. Write this down. Wherever you replace God in your life, you relinquish the power of your life. Hear me. Wherever you replace God in your life, you just relinquish the power of your life. When you choose to love money other than God, you just decided to be powerless. When you choose to love pleasure other than God or pleasure that comes in God, you just let go of God's power in your life. When you choose to love yourself in a way that's biblically not true, in a way that defines yourself, that doesn't come from God, it's powerless. Whatever you replace God, wherever you replace God, you, re you relinquish power. God wants you to have power in your life. The difference Paul is saying is true religion, i.e. true relationship with God, a right relationship to God comes with real spiritual power. Get this in 1 Corinthians 4, 19 through 20. Paul says this, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Get this, man, he's such a baller. I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
Look at him. Paul's like, I'm going to come, and I'm coming with the power of God, and we're going to find out if you're the real deal. Look at that, like how strong that is, how powerful that is. You know, it's like when I would grow up and I'd get in trouble with my mom, and she'd be like, let's just deal with this when your dad comes home. You're like, oh, shoot. You know, like, no, let's deal with it now. Let's just, can we handle it? Like, you know, she's like, I'm just, let's just, well, your dad, I'll call your dad. He'll come home. I'm like, shoot. You know, when he comes home, right, it's that. It's like, oh, man, oh, man. He's like, oh, you think you're a big shot, man, right? Mr. 14-year-old, big shot, you know. Mr. I can't even drive, big shot, you know, like. You think you're a big shot? Okay. Okay, let me come, you know. Let me show you who's really in charge. This is what he's saying. Paul is saying, listen, y'all can talk. talk. I'm going to come with power. Keep talking. I'm going to come with power. And so for City Light Church to be filled with people that come with power, that don't replace God and relinquish the power, but are obedient to God and obtain the power of God who don't appear godly but have no power, but who are godly and have real power. May that be us. So instead of losing loves, you should think about leading loves. We're not even going to, this is just a side note really, but as you, as you read the Bible and you think things that are difficult or things you don't want to do, I want you to think about them as leading you into God's, God's love. So when I'm reading through the Bible, I'm thinking, man, what the world's telling me, I think that's a losing love. I have a proper definition, losing love. It may appear good, but it has no power. And now when I read the word of God and obey the word of God, I have a leading love. God is leading me into love. Verse 7, if you give yourself to losing loves rather than leading loves, you'll always be learning but never arriving at the truth. Get that, always learning, never coming to the truth. So he gives this example of Janice and Jambres as we close. Tradition tells us that Janus and Jebus are the two magicians that opposed Moses when he tried to come and deliver Israel. So there's magicians present with Pharaoh. They fake some wonders and signs. They oppose Moses. And so now he is saying, people that come to you like this that you should watch out for and the culture teaching that you should watch out for, these are just like Janus and Jambres. When God tried to deliver the people of Israel through Moses, these two men opposed him. And to be like this is to be like those men. I love the story of Janus and Jambres because what he says in verse 9, they will not get very far. That's exactly what happened. The first one, the first miracle that they tried to imitate, that, that Moses turns the staff of Aaron into a snake, they come, it's the first one, they do it too. And Pharaoh's like, ha, 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 you know. And then a few times later, they try to imitate again, water to blood, and they do it too. And then in uh, chapter 8, they bring the plague of frogs, but get this, only the prayer of Moses could stop it. So they could copy it, but they couldn't stop it. So Moses prays. And then finally at the gnats, when they try to do gnats, they couldn't copy it. They couldn't do what Moses and them could do. Pharaoh says, this is the finger of God. And then eventually when the magicians are bothered themselves because they have boils like the other magicians, they cannot even stand before Moses anymore. They cannot get where he's going. And eventually, obviously, the people of God are delivered. So just like Janice and Jambres, he's saying, you will not get very far going any other way than God's way. It may look powerful at first. It may look good at first. It may get you some progress at first. It may get you some esteem in the world. It may get you all sorts of things, but you will not get very far. Because we come in power, and God will always win. This is the story of Janice and Jambres. They could fake it for a little while, but they couldn't keep up. They couldn't endure, right? They could run the first mile just as fast as everybody else, but they had no endurance. They couldn't run the marathon that God had required. They didn't have the power. You know, the other day I was talking to a, actually a guy out here, <clears throat> just a friend of mine, who uh, doesn't really know the Lord, and 
uh, he was talking about all he's doing, you know, in life to try to stay busy and make money. And I had this in mind. I was already preparing. It was like Thursday. And he was telling me how busy he was. Because I was talking about like, hey, when are we going to hit that Bible study up or whatever, you know, like all things we talk about. And uh, he was like, man, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, I just want to tell you something. All that you're doing to make it in this life is not going to get you very far. It's not going to get you very far. You know what the Bible says? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his own soul? It's not going to get you very far, man. It's not going to get you very far. But the way of God, the way of God is what will endure. The way of God is what will get you where you need to be. And ultimately, the way of God is what will make you right with God. So for those of you who are teeter-tottering on that slope in the middle, I want to tell you, watch out. Watch out. And let's be a group of people who know the word so we can watch out and faithfully follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for who you are, God. We honor you. We pray that you would give us wisdom to watch out, wisdom to trust you, to follow you, wisdom to take your way. Help us to find true pleasure in you, God, instead of anywhere else. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.